How are we doing? Everybody good? I was just overwhelmed with emotion this morning as I saw people bringing their offering to the front. Not, not because they were bringing their offering to the front. Um, which has at times moved me to cry as well. Uh, but more like every single person that came up, I was like, I know their story. I know their story. I know their story. I know their story, good, bad. And I just want to thank you for the privilege of being your pastor. Um, not every church do you get the opportunity to spend 30 years with and to know people's stories and their lives and to, to travel along this journey together. And thank you for entrusting me uh, and this church with um, your lives, your families, your children. Uh, it's an honor. And I just want to say thank you. And I guess because we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this month and the next month, um, I, I don't know, I'm just overwhelmed. And thank you. Now, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't fishing for that, but okay, you're, you're good. <clears throat> All right, to the sermon, if I can get to it, because really, I was really very moved. We're, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to celebrate over the next month, but uh, thank you again. I think some of the greatest words in the New Testament are these. Uh, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling, not its dwelling, His dwelling among us. God became a man, and everything changed. We've been looking at the passages where Jesus um, proclaims his death. And I want to do something a little different as we start this morning, if you don't mind. If you do, that's tough. Um, but I just want to read this passage to you, and it's not short. Um, it, it is in John, and I prefer if you just listen rather than follow along because uh, I don't want you to get distracted, but this follows immediately in John, the triumphal entry, when he comes into Jerusalem, and here's the passage. I don't really need these, but I'm going to use them today. <laughs> 30 years it's been. I could see when we started And so could you. <laughs> now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. This is Passover. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this 
very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. A rich passage that really comes out of the passage Gabriel preached last week. From Nicodemus to this time, whatever the time frame is, Jesus has been proclaiming that the Son of Man himself must be lifted up. Now we're in Passion Week. Now the triumphal entry has happened. Now he's facing the cross face on. It's coming Friday. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us in order that this time, this moment, this lifting up the cross will come. The passage starts with that some Greeks, and we, we pass over these kind of passages because we don't get the Jew-Greek thing. It doesn't strike us like it probably... These guys were afraid to even approach Jesus because of their heritage, because of their birth, because of their race. There are Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They were probably proselytes, those who were searching, uh, a number of different aspects to who they were, but they're Greek in their birth, not Jewish. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. There's a reason they went to Philip. We're not going into all of this, but sir, they said, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And then Jesus goes into this talk, this sermonette, when they come and ask him, hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks here who would like to see you. He goes into this about death, the seed falling to the ground, and just a number of different aspects that doesn't seem to answer the question, will you go and see the Greeks? It doesn't seem to even come close to answering the question. It's as if the question wasn't asked, but I, don't, I, I, I believe in his response, he's saying 
something more than they just are going to get to see me now. I think what he's trying to say to both his followers and those that will hear is that when this time comes, when the Son of Man is lifted up, you're going to really see. You're going to get to see in a way you haven't seen before because the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Next week, we'll look at what that means just a little more in depth. Today, though, I want to talk about this gift that Christ has given us in the cross. And I'm going to frame it as Jesus does in this passage, kind of the number of times he uses this imagery of the paradox. You know, a paradox is a, is a statement or truth or thought that is either contradictory in the way it's stated or contradictory in our logic. So, uh, for instance, I'm going to give you some famous ones. Epimenides uh, had this famous paradox, a uh, Greek philosopher, where a Cretan comes to him and says, all Cretans are liars. Now, just pause for a second, think it through. If a Cretan says all Cretans are liars, and he's a liar, does that mean he's telling the truth, or is he lying? Or is he telling the truth? Well, he can't tell the truth because he's a liar. You see the paradox here. So there are these statements that are like paradoxes. There are also philosophical paradoxes. Uh, one of the most famous is a six or ten Zeno's paradox, it's called. And it's a thought of science and really philosophy more than anything. But let's say I'm going to walk from here. Everybody turn and wave at Scott. Just wave at Scott. Say I'm going to, let's say I'm going to wave. I'm going to travel from the stage to where Scott is. Well, to get to Scott, I have to go halfway to Scott, correct? I mean, I can't get to Scott without going at least halfway. Nod your heads, we're going to be here a while. I can't get to halfway without going a quarter. I can't go a quarter without going an eighth. I can't go an eighth without going a sixteenth, a sixteenth without going a thirty-second, a thirty-second without getting a sixty-fourth, a sixty-fourth without one twenty-eight. After that, I can't do the math. Until infinity. You with me? And I can't go infinity. Therefore, all motion is an illusion according to Zeno. And you're like, wait a minute, but I just saw th these philosophical paradoxes where it seems as if it can't be true. He's got like 10 of these. 500 years before Christ, he proposed that. For 25, 2600 years, people have been working through Zeno, he's got a number of them. We've got one with an arrow, one with Achilles and a turtle. I could go on and on. I won't. This is not why you're here. Even the nature of light is a paradox. We know that light at times uh, is a wave, and we know that at times light is a particle. But we also know that something can't be a wave and a particle at the same time. Therefore, we have a paradox. What is light? Theory of relativity tries to address this scientific paradox. 
Some of you are like, where in the world are we headed? Just hang on. This is fun, isn't it? Look what you've learned today already. Last weekend, Jared called me and said, hey, Dad, I need your help. Um, something has come up here in Charlotte. It's very serious. Could you help me out? And I said, well, let's, let's hear it first. I've learned over the years never to say yes without hearing the whole problem, um, the whole issue, because it could involve money, you know? And so um, <laughs> he says to me, look, I've got a recruiting trip on Friday that I have to leave on Thursday night. And I just found out that Friday is Dad's Day at Sophie's Preschool. And I need, I need a stand-in. Could you come stand in for me? So that one I'm up for. <laughs> Done. So um, this is my date for last Friday. It was so fun. They called it Dazzle Dad's Day. And I went into the room and I looked around and I thought about my paradoxes in that I don't see a lot of dazzling going on here. These dads are not very dazzling. Now, the kids in and of themselves were dazzling. Maybe it's they're dazzling their dads, but if they're saying it's dazzle dads, like we're dazzling, not true. Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem humbly on a donkey, but proclaimed as a king. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a paradox, just his entry into Jerusalem. And then he gives this series of statements that are a series of paradoxes. But let me tell you this, they are the Christian life. So please pay attention to the following truths that I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate to us that if we're not careful, our lives will run contrary to every statement on this list. The first one is this. Life comes through death. Life comes through death. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and does what? And dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, Jesus is obviously talking about himself, right? He's talking about himself dying so that he can produce fruit. But this theme is carried out throughout the New Testament, that the Christian life is entered into by death. Death to ourselves. See, here's, the, here's what I'm afraid of in the Christian life, that we have come to this, this idea that to enter the Christian life, that really what you need in the Christian life is an addition to the life you already have. Like your, your, your life is like 80%, 90% complete. You're doing good. You know, you've got, you've got school life, you've got soccer life, you've got... Uh, music life, you've got entertainment life, now you need religious life to be added to 
that good life that you already had or, or to straighten up a couple of messes maybe you made along the way, but it's an addition to your life and then your life will be 100% complete. And that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is death to you, life from him. It is the only way to be entered into is that we have to put to death the old self. Unless the seed dies, it can't produce fruit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. George Mueller, talking about his own life, said, There was a day when I died. I died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval of blame, even of brethren or friends. Here's where I'm headed with all these statements, so hopefully you'll see it as we go along, is that, yes, the entry point to the kingdom is death to self, but there's also a daily death to self that is required in order to experience the fruit and life of the kingdom of God. Because even though you may have died to self, I can tell you self keeps popping up. You know, back in the day when we used to go to Chuck E. Cheese, we had the whack-a-mole game, you know, where you're trying as fast as you can to hit the, the dickens out of that mole that kept popping its head up. That's the way self is in your life. It's going to keep popping up. I've experienced it in my own life this week. Anybody with me? Where times you're like, this is all about me. And all this is for me. That's the theme of our lives. Instead, putting to death self. I mean, I want to get like George Mueller. I want to die to my opinions. Oh, my Lord. I've got so many opinions. I mean, every time I read a news article, every time I see a news report, you know, every time I see an ex-president get indicted, I got opinions <laughs> on things. Preferences, tastes. I want to see them put to death in my life. Why? Solely so that I can live for God's kingdom. I'd love to put to death the hurts of my life the pain, the scars of my life that caused me to act in ways now that don't glorify his kingdom. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want to find your life? Lose your life. One of the paradoxes of the kingdom. All the other paradoxes I'm going to give you, I think, flow out of this one truth. So if you don't get this one, I'm not sure the others will resonate as well. But life, spiritual life, eternal life, abundant life, kingdom life, the life that you were created for and redeemed for comes by putting to death yourself and letting his life live within you. Second point is this, receiving comes from giving. Receiving comes from giving. Back to the passage, uh, verse 25 of John 12. I, did I ever mention we were in John 12? If not, you can scribble it down and look at it later. The man who loves his life will lose it. 
while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There's this aspect, I think, in this passage of giving away. Giving away your life so that you can gain it. Giving away, giving, results in receiving. Here's the, here's the problem. Everything we're taught every moment of every day in the American system is if you want to get, go get it. If you, it, you're better off by accumulating and taking, not giving away. If you want to be a great, though, person, if you get a lot, you should give a little bit back. It's just the nice thing to do. Kingdom life is this. If you want to receive, give. And I'm not talking about money or time even. Most Americans, uh, the studies show that Christian Americans especially will give more of their time than their money, believe it or not. Give your life away. Yesterday, when we were driving back, I don't know about you, but sometimes when Kathy and I spend like tons of hours in the car, you'd think we'd talk and philosophize. And No, we found it's not best. Um, so a lot of times we just listen to books. You're like, oh, come on, Pastor, you don't mean it. No, no, I mean it. Um, so on the way back the other day, I mean, listening yesterday, we we're listening to this book called Atomic Habits. Don't know if you've read it, pretty popular book on how to change your life by making small changes. Well, here's the idea partially of this book. Many of us love to set goals. Many of us have ideas in mind of things we'd like to do. But for most of us, most of us will never achieve those goals because we're not willing to make the changes necessary in order to achieve the goal. We just want the goal. We want the pleasure of the goal. We want to be able to brag about the goal. We want the goal, but we're not really willing to make whatever changes are necessary to get me from here to the goal. So part of his premise is forget about the goal. Instead, just start getting better 1% every day. Don't even think about big changes. Just find something little in your life and say, today I'm going to get better at this. And he gives all, it's a book, so obviously I'm giving you a long series of it. But I, I started thinking about um, my running life and some of the things that I, I did while I was, while I was running. And you don't just go run a marathon. I mean, for most of us, I don't know if there are probably five of us in this room who could go out right now, including me, I couldn't do it, right now and go run a marathon. It might take me, I, I could finish it, but it would take me probably till tomorrow right now. And I run a good bit. Most of us in this room probably don't run or, I, I'm not condemning you. You don't have to be a runner. What I'm saying is, if you just say to yourself, you know what? I think next week I'll go do a marathon. You're probably not going to do it. You're not going to be able to. Why? Because for many of us, we're not willing to get up off the couch and go 
exercise to the point that will allow us to at least get there. And here's the deal, too. When I tell people who start running, don't, don't start off by thinking about doing a marathon. I've told tons of people this. Don't, don't let that be your goal. Instead, just figure out a way that you can run one mile without dying. Start there. Whatever changes you need to make in your life, and don't even start by running. Run, walk, run, walk, run, walk for some minutes. And then add some minutes on, and add some minutes on, and add some minutes on. Get incrementally better. But the problem is, even at the start, you got to be willing to give in order to get there. You've got to be willing to give it away. You're going to give away time. You're going to give away something. That's just an illustration. What I'm trying to say is in kingdom life, really, if you want to receive, you've got to be willing to give. And you've got to be able to give what really matters. You can't give away just minor what's convenient to you. You can't give away little things that don't matter. Like, I'm very willing to give a shirt I haven't worn for 20 years when it's time to give something away. Yeah, I haven't run it for 20 years. I'm going to give that away. And then I feel good about myself because I gave a shirt away that I haven't worn for 20 years. Now, me and Larry, we're getting to the point where we still wear those shirts from 20 years ago. <laughs> we still do that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm picking on Larry. But I do. I saw, I, I, I saw a picture from like where I was traveling, honestly, 20 years ago, and I'm like, I still wear that shirt. <laughs> what I'm saying, though, in essence is this. Many of us are willing to give where it doesn't hurt us at all. Instead, what Jesus is talking about is giving away things that really matter. Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. What are we willing to give away? Jesus also says in Luke, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I, I please, do, you, you, for those of you who've been at Fullness Long Enough, you know my relationship with the prosperity doctrine. We're not real close. I'm just, we're not. But there's still some truth in there that says, look, if you want to receive, kingdom truth is if you want to receive, you've got to give away. And you've got to give away your life. You've got to give away resources. You've got to give away time. You've got to give away your words. You've got to give. Now, what you receive back, here's where things get messed up. I don't give in just order to receive. That's not my goal. In other words, like I was talking about these habits and these changes, it's not the goal of getting money that makes me give. I give because it's about the kingdom of God and celebrating the life he's given me. And it's, a, it's an act of worship. It's an act of thanksgiving. So what am I going to get back? Am I going to get back money? Maybe, maybe not. But maybe I'll get something much more valuable. Maybe I'll get lives to take with me for eternity. Maybe I'll get the souls of people who wouldn't have ever listened to the gospel or get to hear it. You know, if I'm giving to missions, for instance, I never, may never actually meet the person who's on the receiving end of the gospel, the good news, in Africa or wherever, Asia or wherever it might go. But man, when I get to heaven, what a celebration. 
Third point, fellowship comes through following. Fellowship comes through following. Now, this is a paradox in this. It's, it's that whoever serves me must what? Follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. There's an aspect of fellowship that comes from fellowship. As a disciple, I'm following Jesus, but because I'm following him, I'm with him, and when I'm with him, I'm fellowshipping with him. And isn't that the goal of the Christian life? Fellowship with Jesus? Hello, what is the goal of the Christian life? Is the goal of the Christian life now, this abundant life you've got, is it just, praise God, I get to go to heaven and I don't get to have to go to hell? I'm happy about that. I'm, you know, to me, that's good news. But there's so much more now. I get to fellowship with Jesus. Well, how do I fellowship with him? I fellowship with him by following him. He's the one who leads my life. I don't, I don't fellowship by demanding. I don't fellowship by leading even. I fellowship by following Jesus. And then, you know what? I've also learned that as I follow Jesus... There are a bunch of other followers that I'm with. And we're all following Jesus together. So I'm fellowshipping with him in the company of other followers. And as a result, I'm not isolating myself. This isn't an independent thing, but I get to fellowship with everybody here and with Jesus. Listen to this passage in Philippians, which... Is key for all of us. But Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. The number, again, we're filled with paradoxes here. I'm, I'm losing it, I'm gaining it, I'm losing it. I can't tell if I'm winning or losing, but I think I'm winning. But I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. My fellowship with Christ comes from my willingness to die and to be willing to suffer and to give my life away so that I can know him. This is my goal, to know him better. I want to know Jesus. Do you want to know Jesus? I don't. I don't mean know about Jesus. I mean, it's Palm Sunday and Easter. Even pagans go to church on Easter. Why? Because they feel like, hey, we're in the South. We need to go to church. It's Easter. Let's go. It's a church thing. They learn a little more about Jesus. But if you want to know Jesus, you have to give it up. You have to give it away. You have to lay it down. You have to count it as rubbish. I mean, we're not just talking like, ah, this is really a really good thing, but yeah, I'm going to. 
No, we got to count it as trash compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. A.W. Tozer said this, a real Christian is an odd number. He feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be filled, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which surpasses knowledge. That's our Jesus. That's our lives if we're willing to follow him, if we're willing to give, if we're willing to die. Final point. Honor comes through service. Oh, my friends, we see this contrary attitude in the world around us that honor comes by demanding and moving up and getting rights. But in the kingdom of God, the upside-down kingdom, honor comes through giving. Honor comes by laying it down. Honor comes by serving. My Father will honor the one who does what? Serves me. We looked recently at the passage from Mark where he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we want to receive honor that matters, then we do it by giving our lives away and serving others. Missionary David Livingston said this, send me anywhere only go with me. Lay any burden on me, but only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. Have you ever tried to teach a child to serve? I mean, to Teach them how to serve. You know, my contention, like uh, Jonathan Edwards, is that children are not born good. They're born evil. Jonathan Edwards called them vipers. I heard someone recently said, vipers in diapers. That's what they are. Now, some of you may have a higher view of children than that. But I believe that born into Adam, we're born into sin. And so you try to teach your kid, child to serve. I even saw it in my grandkids this weekend at three and five. They're not real apt on serving. It doesn't come naturally. Oh, let me get that for you. Oh, let me help you. Let me do. No, it's all about getting. And I started thinking about the home. And could it be that 
We don't teach our children to serve because the model they see, sometimes, not here in this church, but in other places, might be the dad who gets served all the time. The dad who demands, leave me alone, I've had a hard day, I just want to click and watch television. I just want to be live in this bubble. I don't want to be bothered. I just, honey, would you please bring me something to drink? Honey, would you please make me dinner? Children, pick this place up. In other words, many times it's harder to model service to our children or to get them to serve because there's no model for it. Now, this isn't my ser- sermon but it's worth thinking about, isn't it? That kingdom living actually starts in your home? And could there be a harder place for kingdom living to actually occur than your home? Sometimes it's easier to be a kingdom citizen out there rather than in there. I'm preaching to myself, you don't know my life this week, but... I keep thinking I put to death the self and whack-a-mole, it's back. John Wesley said this, I want, the whole, I want the whole Christ for my Savior, the whole Bible for my book, the whole church for my fellowship, and the whole world for my mission field. The idea of service for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here are the paradoxes I think Jesus is teaching us from these lessons today, and hopefully they're speaking to you about your life. This, life comes through death. Receiving comes through giving. Fellowship comes through following, and honor comes through service. We declare it the day we get baptized, that we're buried with him through baptism into what? You can say it. Into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And this isn't a one-time thing. This is a daily putting to death yourself, picking up your cross, and following him. Because if you're a Christian... God calls you to die daily. Might not be a bad thing every morning when you wake up, the alarm goes off, to say something like, thank God I'm alive, thank God I'm dead. I'm going to die daily. Because God calls us not to only experience where we are positionally in Jesus, meaning theologically where we are, but practically every single day of our lives. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This morning, I'm going to pray for whoever wants to be prayed for, to say, Pastor, I, 
there's something in this putting to death daily. There's something in this giving my life away. There's something in following and fellowshipping with Jesus and serving that I know I need to walk out in a better way. Just pray for me. If that's you, just stand up. Just stand up. You'd like for me to pray for you. out your hands before the Lord and receive what he wants to do in your heart and your life. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us who are standing right now. Lord, I I pray there's not one single person standing just because they feel guilted into it or forced into it, but instead they're standing to say, Lord, here's my life. Afresh and anew this morning, I want to take up my cross, your cross. I want to follow you. I want to put to death more of the self that keeps revealing itself in my life. Lord, I want to give my life away to serve others and honor you. Lord, oh Lord God, we don't want the Christian life to be this merely this set of beliefs that we are convinced about but has no practical aspect in the living of our lives. Instead, Lord, we want to we follow you fully. We want to fellowship with you daily. We want to honor you every moment of our lives. We want to find opportunities to serve you. Oh God, just open our eyes to see our hope and our power and our fellowship. You are the one who's worthy. You are the one who calls us. You're the one who directs our lives. And so, Lord, we give ourselves a fresh and anew to go from this place to serve you in every single way. a moment. I'm going to speak a benediction over you. You're going to be dismissed, but before you do, just take a moment to worship Him. Worship is declaring He's the one who's worthy, not you. He's the one who is doing it, not you. He's the one who will do it, not you. He's the one you give your life to every moment of every day because He's worthy.